to beat a team like Alabama, everybody's got to step up. You've got to have a few breaks go your way. But uh, um, maybe I was Alabama-proof uh, in college. I certainly wasn't Florida-proof. We all know that. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm sort of channeling Morgan Wallen, who's a Knoxville native, in this Tennessee-Alabama game this Saturday. That's right. The big man is here. Peyton Manning joins the show today. Today is always college football, and today is October 14th. Thanks for being with us from wherever you're getting the podcast from, whether that's on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, or if you're here with us via the ESPN YouTube channel, we really appreciate it. Please like. That's the thumbs up right beneath the video. Or you can rate. That's on the podcast. Give it five stars, nothing less. And then you can subscribe to ESPN College Football ESPN YouTube page or you can subscribe and get the podcast directly to you wherever you get your podcast. Really helps the show out. We really appreciate it. That's right. Big week to have Peyton Manning. The third Saturday in October is upon us as Tennessee and Alabama get ready to kick it off yet again, but this time doing so as top 10 foes. Feels like Tennessee for the first time in about 15 years has a legitimate chance. Can't wait to see that game tomorrow when things get underway, but a lot to get to between now and then, including college game day and including nine other games that we're going to discuss in depth like we do every single Friday. So let's not waste any time. Let's get down to it. All right. So thrilled to finally have Peyton Manning, my favorite college football player of all time behind Eli on the show. This is just remarkable, man. Thanks so much for making the time. What's a pretty big week for your alma mater? Hey, Greg, thanks for having me, and uh, it certainly is. Uh, it's been a while since the uh, University of Tennessee has had a game um, of this magnitude. Uh, ESPN College Game Day is going to be there. I mean, look, Herb Street and Corso get their mail in Tuscaloosa, right? <laughs> uh, they average like four trips a year to Tuscaloosa, but they haven't been coming to Knoxville as much. But, uh, that, you know, the fact they've been there twice this year, that says a lot about our program and what Coach Heupel has done. So should be rocking in Knoxville Saturday. Tough test, but uh, it'll be a great atmosphere. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly. I've, I have, you know, this selective memory a little bit, uh, but I know that you had a fairly good record against Alabama. However, I think that's the last time y'all beat us. Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure. There might be a few wins that Tennessee sprinkled in there in the early 2000s, but you went 3-1 and one against the Tide. Is that accurate? I did go three and one against the Tide. Should have been four and zero. Oh. I got down to the uh, to the five yard line my freshman year, and we couldn't quite punch it in. But yeah, this rivalry uh, look, there's great tradition, there's great history. It's been one sided the past number of years, and the only way that changes is if Tennessee does something about it, right? Uh, Coach Saban, Alabama, uh, Kirby Smart, Georgia. Those programs don't just let you win one just because they feel sorry for you. You have to go and get it. You have to go and earn it. And what a great opportunity for Tennessee's program uh, to try to do that on Saturday. But it'll be a dogfight. But, uh, yeah, uh, when I got to Knoxville, Greg, it was pointed out very clearly to me that playing Alabama is a big deal. The tradition goes back a long way. Uh, the coaches, the players that have played in this rivalry, uh, there's a bunch of great ones. And so uh, – Hopefully, Tennessee can turn it back into a rivalry again. It certainly feels like they're trending in that direction. I'm not just telling you this. I've been saying this for a while. I even told Hype this a couple weeks back when we had him on. I'm very optimistic about where Tennessee's going. I'm not sure I'm as optimistic as when you were there back in the mid-90s. 
Uh, you referenced the three and one. You had ended actually your sophomore year a nine game winless streak against the tide. Hendon Hooker trying to do something similar. So if you're going to give advice to him about ending what's been a very long run of disappointment for volunteer fans, what kind of advice would you give him? Well, Hendon Hooker to me is the key. Uh, he is the X factor. Uh, there's a great Morgan Wallen song out there talking about he needs something you proof and uh, Tennessee needs something Alabama proof. We haven't had it in a while. And I think Hendon Hooker might be the closest thing we have to being uh, Crimson Tide proof. Uh, he's playing extremely well, Greg. His decision making is what's so impressive. I mean, he's not holding the ball for a long time. He's checking his reads. And when it's not there, he's using his legs. As you know, certain quarterbacks hold on to the ball too long. They leave the pocket too early to run. I think Hendon has that great balance and mix, and he's throwing the ball accurately. So, uh, But it can't be all on him, right? I mean, to beat a team like Alabama, everybody's got to step up. You've got to have a few breaks go your way. But uh, um, maybe I was Alabama-proof uh, in college. I certainly wasn't Florida-proof. We all know that. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm sort of channeling Morgan Wallen, who's a Knoxville native, in this Tennessee-Alabama game this Saturday. Uh, I think that's fair enough. I was, I was definitely on my list of questions. I was going to ask you about uh, about Florida and and who your favorite coach was to play against. And if it was Spurrier, I was going to be surprised that we could make some headlines. That, that wouldn't be it, though, right? Steve Spurrier not making the list for you. Oh, absolutely. I always enjoyed, <laughs> always enjoyed those games and uh, have enjoyed hearing from Coach Spurrier on the times that I see him about those games. Always one of my great memories. He never brings it up, does he? he no, I, never, I mean, I, he beat us in 2010. He's still, hey, Mac, remember that game, 2010? Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does he still bust you on it? No, you know what? Uh, Coach Burr and I have seen each other uh, several different times at uh, some SEC functions at the College Football Hall of Fame. Always have great conversations with him. Uh, Coach has great respect for the SEC, for the history of it. And uh, so he and I have enjoyed some of those conversations. All good. So uh, of the games that you played in, obviously Florida being one, Alabama being another, Georgia, of course, a, a huge factor in your career as well. Not as much as maybe Alabama and Florida, but how would you rank the rivalries that you played in as a college football player? You know, uh, I mean, at a place like Tennessee, I mean, there's a bunch of them, right? I mean, Alabama has the same thing. It has the Tennessee rivalry. It has Auburn, you know, the Florida Georgia one is intense, but uh, it seems like, all of them have kind of changed through the years. I mean, the Tennessee-Florida one really got going there in the late 80s and 90s. A lot of it because Coach Spurrier, who was a Tennessee native, went back to coach there. Teams were ranked, you know, one through ten just about every single year in that rivalry. And, uh, you know, the Tennessee-Georgia was was intense during that time. Kirby Smart was the uh, starting safety uh, for Georgia during uh, – uh, three out of the four years I played against them. And, uh, you know, Hines Ward, Champ Bailey, great players. So the players are a big part of making the rivalry special. Uh, you know, the tradition and history is always going to be there. So, you know, Alabama's had such great players uh, over these past years. And, it, I mean, you look at the amount of guys that are playing in the NFL today that are from Alabama. That's where we want to get to as Tennessee, where we're back to uh, sending a lot of players to the next level and, and having players that uh, kind of become household names. That's how you create that rivalry again. 
Yeah, and you guys are on your way, man. There's a lot of great players in this team. We've talked about Hendon. The receivers are off the charts good. Now, how heavily involved are you with, with Tennessee's program? I've, I've taken a visit to the Manning Room. I've seen all the paraphernalia in there. It's it's un, it's, pro, it's propaganda. It's not even paraphernalia. I walk in the Manning Room. It's like, goodness gracious, where's the rest of his stuff? Because everything he's ever won and or should have won. I think there's a, there's like half a Heisman in there because it should have been yours, in my opinion, back in you know the late 90s. But uh, how involved are you with the, with the program and, and how, how hands-on are you when it comes to supporting the program, whatever it needs? Yeah, I certainly try to be a, uh, be a strong ambassador for the program. Uh, listen, I lived in Indianapolis, uh, lived in Denver, haven't lived in Knoxville since I left in 1997. So uh, I'm as involved as I possibly can be living somewhere else, uh, raising kids and, and, and playing pro football for, for a number of years. Um, <laughs> You know, Greg, I've been on board with everybody that we brought in. Coach Fulmer was my coach, but I still support the program. Um, but I'm excited that we finally got uh, Coach Heupel and Danny White. I think it's a great one-two punch as a head coach and AD. I love our chancellor, Chancellor uh, Dondi. Um, I love Randy Boyd, our president. I think for the first time we have all the right pieces in place as far as leadership, where there's good communication, everybody's on the same page. and that makes a big difference in any organization, NFL team, and a college program. So I'm a supporter. I'm a donor. I'm an ambassador. I'm a fan. I'm not deciding who the coach is going to be. I'm not deciding uh, if they're going to go forward on fourth and one. I'm just a I'm just a true, <laughs> honest uh, Tennessee fan that wants to see the Volunteers get back to where we used to be. Greg, it was a great run in the '90s when I played there. One of the best places you can play college football. That yeah, uh, that's kind of my message is that. It's still a great place. You know, come on and uh, uh, give Rocky Top a, um, a chance. Yeah. It, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is an amazing place. This one is rocking, man. I mean, when it's going, but basically what you said was I'm a supporter, but do not, do not direct any of the vitriol at me if for whatever reason we go on a three game losing streak. That's all I heard there is just to, you know, pass it off the hype, pass it off to the team. Is that, is that reasonable? Yeah. I think that's, I, mean, I, just, want, I just want to be on the record. This is kind of, this is, the, this is the case. I will be there uh, at games, uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's hard to blame me if we don't uh, convert a third and 10. Well, I don't know. I, I've actually seen some numbers floating around. Uh, there is a pretty impressive losing streak for Tennessee in games that you attend. Um, <laughs> one that that's making its rounds around the, not that we're superstitious, but a little stitious. Um, is this one where maybe you show up before the game and then leave as the game kicks off because you're kind of bad yeah, luck? Yeah, probably so. You know, um, um, maybe if I stop by college game day and, you know, make a few picks and see my old teammate McAfee and then just leave. Yeah, uh, why not? You know, I've only been to about 100 games uh, since I graduated Tennessee, including the 98 National Championship. My record is actually pretty good. It probably couldn't be the fact that I've been to a number of Tennessee football games lately where we just haven't been very good. And maybe that's why we lost. No, no, it's got to be me, right? It's my uh, fault right. we lost to Georgia State a few years ago. Uh, I didn't see that one coming. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm about a big, bigger believer in, in, in superstitions uh, as, uh, as uh, I don't know who. Uh, let's just say I don't believe in them. So I sure hope that's not the case. I love going back there, and uh, I hope the team plays well. No, I've, I'm I'm blaming you. I'm not sure anybody else needs to, but I will I will exclusively take on that burden uh, of blaming. I think the greatest Perfect. volunteer of all time, uh, Peyton. You have a photographic memory 
And you can remember plays. Uh, I mean, you hear stories. I mean, Gruden tells stories. Everyone tells stories about how, oh, yeah, hey, you know, this, that one play, hey, pull that one up. Cutcliffe tells stories. Like, do you have one specific play in college that you remember more than any, what the play call was, what the result was, what the defense look, defensive look was? Do you have anything like that that you can kind of enlighten us on? Well, uh, uh, since you brought up uh, 1995, you know, uh, I knew you were going to go to 95. I mean, it was I, so obvious. I just might as well put it on a platter for you. I, I'm blaming you for bringing it up. I mean, I'm sure everybody you know listening to this uh, has great interest in the uh, 1995 Tennessee, Alabama. Hey, let me tell you what it was like when I played, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but you brought it up. They did uh, have face masks, though, back then, right? Exactly. I mean, they, we, we were not in HD watching the games, you know, Rod totally, Franklin. That was uh, understood, but it was uh, on TV, not Rod Radio, <laughs> right? Ron Franklin, Mike Godfrey calling the games, uh, classic uh, uh, Saturday night action. But uh, anyway, the, the play that people ask me about a lot that, you know, sort of of remember those days is the first play of the game. We were playing uh, in Birmingham at Legion Field. And, you know, Greg, all you want to do on the road, your first play, let's just come out. Let's get a completion. Let's quiet everybody down. <laughs> a little five-yard hitch. Let's get and, started. Uh, you know, let's, let's just kind of get on our way. So, um, yeah, the formation was, was flip left condor, and the play was called 661 Bass. Now, Bass was – two hitch routes on the outside and two seam routes on the inside. And all week we've run it. We're just trying to throw the little hitch route outside, right? Just take the completion. Sure enough, we drop back. It's like four guys run to the outside. Like it's almost <laughs> like maybe they were filming our practice. Hey, we got to cover this little hitch route outside. And nobody <laughs> covered our best receiver, a guy named Joey Kent, who was from Alabama on this seam route. So I throw about a little seven-yard pass, and Joey Kitt cuts back and goes 80 yards for a touchdown, and the route was on after that. But, uh, you know, I think anytime you throw a touchdown on the first play of the game, yeah, it's fun, especially when you're not expecting to do it. But to do it in that game, uh, you know, for Joey Kent, it was from Huntsville, Alabama, and that changed the 0-9 streak that uh, Tennessee had going into that uh, series. Uh, uh, so that was a special night. That's pretty neat. I love that you can remember that. And I also love the insinuation that Alabama was filming your practice to take away that hitch. I love I, that was a little subtlety, but I was all it, over it. It was, it was, it, it, was just, it was it was very strange. Like, I mean, uh, who sends three guys to cover a hitch? Like, who cares if you give them the five yards? It's not that big a deal. But let's go give up the 80 yard seam route. So. Anyway, no, I appreciate the, it. The SEC in the 90s is a wild, wild west. You know, if there's a camera guy out there, it was what it was. I mean, it's no big deal, absolutely. right? I mean, just absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know you are an offensive coordinator for your son's football team. Have you thought about maybe a little hypo tempo, maybe spread formation outside the number stuff, put a little stress in the run game? I tell you, um, I can't follow exactly what he's doing, but I like it. I mean, it's different. <laughs> Uh, I can see the stress that it puts on that defense. I mean, look, Greg, all offenses, to me, the goal is that the defense has to have long conversations about how we're going to stop this. Or how are we going to stop this running back? How are we going to stop this tight end? And so I think Tennessee's offense makes guys have lengthy conversations. What's the best way to approach it? And it's just different. And it's fun, too, for a Tennessee fan. Look, obviously winning is fun, but if we're not going to win, I mean, you know, losing 38 to 35 is a lot more fun than losing, you know, 
28 to three, right? We haven't been scoring a lot of points the past few years. So Josh's offense is exciting. Now, obviously, when you got a kid like Hendon to execute it, um, that certainly helps. But uh, yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, I love it, man. Well, that's amazing. Well, you referenced it a little bit earlier and you talked about how you're going to be there, make it to picks alongside McAfee and the boys on college game day. You are the guest picker. Um, for, and first, have you ever done that before? I never have. Um, I've been asked before and either I haven't been at the game or I wasn't, you know, getting in until, you know, till later. Uh, most of the Tennessee games I've been to over the years have been on a bye week uh, when the Colts or the Broncos weren't playing in these past few years during fall break or something like that. So it's hard to get to. So I enjoy getting to them and just glad game day is back in Knoxville. I mean, back when I played, Corso used to come to Knoxville a lot. That was kind of the norm. And they stopped coming. They started going to Tuscaloosa. So, no, I'm honored to be there and to be sitting next to Kirk and Coach Corso, my old teammate McAfee, Desmond and Reese. Uh, um, It'll be fun. It is going to be amazing, and I know that they'll be thrilled to have you there. Uh, I also know that you're the hyper competitor, though, and they do show the guests' picks and their record each and every week. So it's going to be really uncomfortable. But what do you anticipate the fan reaction will be when you pick Alabama on Saturday? <laughs> well, you know, I was going to call you for some recommendations on the other games that I need to pick because, the, you know, I like to do my homework. I want to be prepared. But as far as the Tennessee Alabama game, I don't think I need any help in that one, right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover myself in that one. You know, I don't sure. know what Corso's gonna do. Who knows? McAfee, he's a wild card. Kirk, you know, it's hard to say, but uh, I know what I'll be doing. What I and the team I'll be picking for sure. Well, you better do really good in the other games uh, <laughs> if if that's gonna go the way it goes. Peyton, thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for everything you do for the show. Uh, we love you and we appreciate you, man. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, man. Proud to be your teammate. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, five big matchups. Let's start with USC going on the road to Utah. What do we have in store for us there in Salt Lake City? I can't wait. The Utes go as their defense goes. All right, we know that. All right, I think Utah's really good. Problem is their defense hasn't always been good. Two losses this year against both UCLA and Florida. What happened in those two losses? They got absolutely carved up on their defensive side of the football. They gave up 35 and a half points per game in those two losses. That's mind-boggling. This is a Utah team that's supposed to be a front seven that can go with anybody. It has not been the case. I reference 35 and a half points a game. They've had one turnover forced in those two losses. 
They've allowed or they've get, gotten only six and a half pressures per game in the opposing Q- QBR. That's right. DTR and Anthony Richardson, the opposing QBR against Utah in their two losses, 86.4. Not good enough. Let's talk about their wins for a second. Ten and a half points per game given up. Nine interceptions as opposed to just one when they lost their games. Eleven and a half pressures per game. That almost doubles from where they were. So when their front seven's getting home and they're creating havoc in the backfield, that QBR is going to drop down to 9.3. So it's really going to go as their defense goes. We're going to talk about Cam rising. Yes, he didn't have a touchdown pass last week, but he gave them a chance. He ran the ball well, was very accurate with the football. So I think Cam rising is going to have to play his tail off because right now, if the defense struggles, he's going to be the only guy they have that's going to give them a chance. Moving on to SC, They've lost six straight games against ranked opponents dating back to 2019. You're going to say, why does that matter? It's a different era. It's a different coach. It's a different regime. Well, it's their longest streak since they lost six straight in 97, 98, and then in 1953 to 1955. So a loss this weekend would make it the longest streak in program history. Okay. They have not won an AP ranked first ranked matchup since 2017. That's been a while, of course, right? The turnovers are a huge part of why USC is in this spot. They've done a great job as far as their turnover margin is concerned, plus 14 on the year. That's the best in the FBS. Just so you know, to keep things in perspective, that plus 14, that's five clear of the second best team in the FBS. There's no one else even in double digits, and they're at plus 14 in turnover margin. Caleb Williams against the Utah Blitz, also something that we have to be very mindful of. Entering this week, when you look at what Caleb Williams has done against just a standard pass rush, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He has an 87.9 QBR against a standard pass rush. But when you heat him up, his QBR drops below 70, and he drops to 59th in the FBS. Utah is a team that wants to pressure you. Each of their first five games, their pressure rate increased. And in game number five, it was at 58%. So let's keep an eye on it. I lean Utah in this game. A lot of people on SC, that's going to be a trendy play. They're getting three and a half. I like Utah to take care of business at home. They're a different team in Salt Lake than they are on the road. Let's go to game number two. We're flying today, I might add. Mississippi State at Kentucky. Kentucky, my goodness, what's happened? The wheels have fallen off. After a promising start, sitting there in the top 10, lost two in a row, and their quarterback in the process. Mississippi State, meanwhile, they are not messing around. They go into Kentucky as four-point favorites. I like the setup for Kentucky a little bit here. Why? Desperation. Desperation is a powerful, powerful drug. Look at the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday, okay? Yeah, they lost the game. That was their best performance of the year. Why? Because they're desperate, and that's professionals. Imagine how that affects the college player. All right, let's talk about how this game's all going to go. Mississippi State is one of the best teams in America as far as first quarter play is concerned. Right now, they have outscored their opponents 66-7 to in the first quarter. Think about that. Mississippi State, 66-7 to plus 59 points differential there in the first quarter alone. That is third in college football. You can probably guess who the top two are. Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama plus 77, Ohio State plus 71, and there's little old Mississippi State at plus 59. They are a great starting football team. So when you go on the road, it's pretty beneficial to be a great starting football team, is it not? Yes, it is. So when you look at what Kentucky's done in the first quarter, conversely, they are being outscored by their opponents, 18 points, minus 18 
points differential in the first quarter. They're the worst in the SEC. Great starting team, awful starting team. The awful starting teams at home. Will Mississippi State take their crowd out of it early on? Of course, we're going to have to find out whether or not Will Levis is at 100%. Probably won't be, but he's going to have to go. Because right now, there's nothing that I've seen from from Kentucky's offense that makes me think they can go if their starting quarterback and future first-round pick is unavailable. I also look, too, at the rushing game. This is insane. You realize that Mississippi State is not the worst rushing team in the SEC? That's right, the air rate. Mike Leach, not the worst rushing team in the SEC. Guess who is? That would be Kentucky. Kentucky right now averaging 93 yards per game. Mississippi State, 107. That's how much Kentucky struggled to run the football. I know they've been without Chris Rodriguez, but he's back. It doesn't mean he's going to be able to wave the magic wand. The offensive line has struggled, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to get it going against a really strong, solid Mississippi State team that's going to throw the kitchen sink at you from a pressure standpoint. I love the desperation setup for Kentucky. They have to have it because at four and three, what was once a promising season feels very average, but I think Mississippi State's better. I think they're playing better. I think they're operating with more efficiency. I lean towards the cowbells and that one on the road. Let's go next. By the way, Kentucky giving up a ton of sacks, by the way. I just saw this stat a little while ago. 25 sacks given up this year. That's the third most in the FBS behind Akron and Colorado State. We all know how good those two teams are. Opposite day, they're awful. So he's one of two right now. You look at, that's the most sacks an SEC team has given up in the first six games since 1999. So just keeping things in perspective, talking about that offensive line, they can't only run the ball, they also can't protect. Major issues going against a very, very, very aggressive front for Mississippi State. Let's get next to a game in the ACC. Clemson going on the road to Florida State that used to be headliner, right? Like the biggest game at the college football weekend when Clemson went to Tallahassee, that place was going to be off the charts. We know that Clemson traditionally and historically has struggled against Florida State, but recent history, things have turned. They've won six in a row. And when you look at what Florida State's done, they have really struggled against top teams. As far as the rankings are concerned, Seminoles have lost eight straight games against AP top four teams. The last time they won a game against an AP top ranked team, that would be the 2014 national championship game. That was Jameis Winston. And that was against Auburn. So it's been a while since they've taken care of business against top ranked teams. All right. They've gone one and nine in their last 10 meetings against AP ranked teams overall. The lone win came against number five, North Carolina, back in 2020 in Tallahassee. So it's been a while since they've played well against good competition. However, the turnaround right now has been remarkable for Florida State. Started great 4-0. We all know that. But the last two games come back to earth a little bit. It's mostly because of their offense. Last week and the week before, just 19 points scored for the Florida State Seminoles. That's not going to get it done. They also have not done a great job as far as taking the football away either. They had turned it over or had forced seven turnovers in the first four games, just one in the last two, and the penalty numbers are starting to become alarmingly high. Ten and a half penalties in each of the last two games. We know that that was a huge factor, huge factor in the game against Wake Forest. They got to clean things up. They also, I think, need to finish a little bit better because the second half of the football game last week that was difficult to watch. They were able to move the ball pretty well in the first half against NC State, 17 points, 294 yards. But second half, just 93 yards of offense and two turnovers. 
Jordan Travis has to be better. The running game has to be better. The offensive line has to be better, or else Florida State is in some serious trouble. You look at Clemson, on the other hand. They have done a great job when they get in the red zone. When they get down there, they score. They are one of just three teams, excuse me, four teams, that have a perfect mark in the red zone. They've scored 100% of the time. Knock on wood. Don't want to talk about the perfect game at the midway point. But the 24 touchdowns, eight field goals, and 32 red zone penetrations. That's pretty dang solid. The other teams that have done that, Ohio State, Tennessee, and believe it or not, Vanderbilt. Shocking as that may be. All right, so that's pretty dang impressive that they're scoring when they get down there. DJ Uyunglele has been really good, especially throwing the ball down the field in an area in which he struggled at times last year. But as you can see, that's been a big point of emphasis, and it's really helped this offense an awful lot. And then as far as the rush defense is concerned, I think Florida State has to be able to run the football. It's not going to be easy going against this Clemson front. Brian Brzee is likely to be back in the, in the lineup for the Clemson Tigers. But Treshawn Ward and Trey Benson, those are maybe the two best playmakers that the Florida State Seminoles have. Those guys are going to have to get out in space. So far, Clemson is not giving up a lot of big plays on the ground either. And that's where the Seminoles have made their hay. They're one of the best teams in America in creating big runs. Creating big runs, 10-yard-plus runs, 20-yard-plus runs. That's Clemson's strength. All right, They are one of the best. I've given up only 12 runs that have gone for more than 10 yards this year. That's the fewest in the ACC and fourth fewest in the FBS. I lean in this game Clemson, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be really close because I expect Florida State's defense to be able to hang in there. I just don't know if they can create enough of a pass rush right now to really disrupt the rhythm for DJ Uwe Angalale. And I honestly think that Florida State might need a couple turnovers in this game which haven't necessarily been plentiful each of the last two weeks to be able to keep this thing within striking distance. I think Florida State's good. I think they're better. But man, I still think Clemson, a lot of people hesitant, a lot of people kind of refusing to jump on board the Clemson bandwagon. I think that's what Dabba wants. Hey man, we're just little old Clemson, just plugging along right now. He operates really well when nobody's talking about him. All right, let's get to the two biggest games of the weekend. You probably know where I'm going. Let's start in... Ann Arbor. Penn State traveling to Michigan. I love this game this weekend. Love it. Why? Because I'm going to find out finally about both Penn State and Michigan. I think both teams are excellent. Absolutely excellent. But I don't know if I can prove that based on who they've played against. And I don't know if I can prove that based on how well they've played in the games against teams that I don't really think are all that good. Okay. But I know this. Let's start with Michigan. I know JJ McCarthy's been very efficient. He leads the country right now in passer and passing efficiency, I guess, as far as completion percentage is concerned. So he's playing really, really well. Problem is, can he do it from within the pocket? Because I think Penn State, with how they kind of will collapse the pocket, I'm not sure they're going to allow him to move. I think Penn State's pretty solid in the front seven, and I'm not sure they're going to let him outside the pocket. And so far, most of his hay has been made when he's on the move. He's completing over 90% of his passes when he's outside the pocket. That's absurd. His touchdown-interception ratio is 4-0 to when he's outside the pocket. Now, inside the pocket, he's done pretty well. I mean, it's not like he's a slouch. He's completed 75% of his passes from inside the pocket, so he can do it from in there. But I think he's because he goes from a good player to an elite player when he leaves the pocket. So you're going to have to corral that. And the all-points bulletin when you're playing against Michigan is always going to be Blake Corum. We know that. That's not news, okay? Blake Corum has 11 rushing touchdowns. 
already in just six games. That's the same total he had last year in 12 games. He's been unbelievable in rushing. All right, rushing the football, missing, making guys miss, getting to the line of scrimmage, creating explosive plays. He's done so much good in this offense. I think it's going to be really difficult to corral him if you're Penn State's defense. But we talked about earlier in the week, Penn State and Michigan, two teams that rank in the top seven nationally in defense. I also look at Penn State and say, hey, man, hey, Blake Corum, you're pretty good. Take a peek at our guy, Nicholas Singleton. He's a leading rusher, and he actually averages over seven yards a carry, and that is actually a yard higher than that of Blake Corum. He's one of only three guys in college football that are averaging more, or he's one of only two guys in the Big Ten, excuse me, that are averaging more than seven yards per carry. Him and Mayan Williams, pretty good spot to be in. I love what I've seen from this young man. I actually think the offensive line is quite a bit better than I anticipated as well. Clifford's been fine. He's been solid, can make plays, needs to continue to play smart. I think he's done a good job of that up to this point, with the exception of a throw or two here and there. And if he can continue that on the road, I think they have a good chance. James Franklin, looking at him, he's 2-18 and in his career against AP top 10 teams. Not a mark that you'd love. Both wins also came back in 2016. He's 1-5 against AP top 10 teams when his team is also ranked in the AP top 10. So in top 10 matchups, he has not fared well. However, I'm leaning Penn State. You're thinking, what? On the road? I know, I feel crazy too. But when I watch them, and I think that's secondary, that secondary is the difference. The ability to corral McCarthy is the difference. I lean Penn State here. I think they have explosiveness. And I think their defense is actually a little bit better in the back end than what Michigan has at this point. That's saying something too, because I really like Michigan. This can be a great game. If nothing else, take the points. All right, that's the way I look at it. If nothing else. All right, let's move on now to the third Saturday in October. College game day will be there. It'll be at 3.30 Eastern time on CBS. Alabama and Tennessee are meeting for top 10, meeting as top 10 opponents for the first, for the 11th time in the series, but just the second time this century. All right, so it's the first time in a while that we've seen these teams in the top 10 and being able to, to really put this, this matchup, this rivalry kind of back on the map, man. It's been a while, and I'm glad that it's back in its rightful place uh, to be there at the top of the college football conversation. Tennessee's lost four straight AP top 10 matchups at home. That's the longest streak in the poll era. There's some weird numbers for Alabama, okay? You look at the numbers for Alabama, some things that just flat out don't make sense. All right, they're top five in both points per game and points per game differential. But they also have a minus six turnover margin, which is 121st in college football. Like That's mind-blowing to me. Like Alabama, top five in points per game and points per game differential, but minus six in turnover margin. That's wild. That's wild to me when I think about Alabama. Let's talk a little bit about Alabama's defense against Tennessee's offense because that ultimately declare who's going to be the winner. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. Okay. We'll talk about Bryce Young and everything in just a second, but the Vols are scoring at 62% of their drives. That's pretty dang good. It's best in the country. All right. On the other side, Alabama ranks sixth in the nation, total defense and scoring defense. So if you look at where they're at, the tempo, I think is going to be really interesting. Tennessee's snapping the ball with about, about 19 seconds on the shot clock or so every 21.3 seconds to be exact, okay? That's the fifth fastest pace in the FBS. 
over the last 10 years, and this was a stat that surprised me, Alabama is actually 17-1 and one in games where its opponent averaged snap on 22 or fewer seconds per play. The lone loss actually came in the 2017 National Championship game. That was against Clemson when Deshaun Watson hit Hunter Renfro in the front right corner of the end zone. So Alabama... I guess contrary to popular belief, and I didn't know this either, and I've watched every snap of Alabama football for the last 17 years, every single snap, I was shocked to know that their record is that good against teams that use tempo this significantly. That I thought was very, very interesting. The formations for Tennessee do make them very difficult, though. When you look at how Hendon Hooker really spreads the field and how Josh Heupel spreads the field and has receivers outside the numbers, that's significant because Hendon Hooker is completing 74% of his passes outside the numbers. It's the second best mark in the SEC, and that's SEC best 10.7 yards per attempt. So it's not like these are just dinks and dunks. Yeah, they're going to throw it at the line of scrimmage on hitch routes and now routes probably seven, eight times in the game. But they're also going to push the field from outside the numbers, and that's a difficult thing to deal with. Alabama has fared quite well. With that, up to this point of the year, they're allowing just 36% completion on passes thrown outside the numbers. That's the best in the FBS. So you have one of the best with how Tennessee throws it outside the numbers against one of the best with how Alabama defends it outside the numbers. It'll be interesting to see if Cedric Tillman's available. If he's not available, I'm hoping he is. He had that ankle procedure done. It's been out a few weeks. If he can get back, that'd be significant. But Brew McCoy and others have stepped up as well. And it'll also be interesting to see if Alabama utilizes that cheetah package that they used successfully last week with Will Anderson on the field, along with two other speed rushers, Dallas Turner and El and others. Will Anderson had 12 pressures last week. That was his career high, and it's the most in the game this year by any FBS player. So uh, another bit of the conversation, and finally, before we put a bow on this matchup, Bryce Young versus Jalen Milrow. Can Bryce Young play? Based on the information that I have, it's not a foregone conclusion that he plays. It's also not a foregone conclusion that he doesn't play. Uh, I know that this has a lot to do with pain management. This has a lot to do with pain tolerance. I do think that anytime you're dealing with a throwing shoulder, consciously or subconsciously, it has an effect on how much command you have when delivering the football. I've had an SC joint sprain. I played. It was extremely painful, and I did not. Be, I was not able to throw with the velocity that I was able to throw with beforehand. It took me about three weeks to be able to get back to feeling 100%. So that's different than the AC joint, but either way, it's difficult to deal with a shoulder injury. I know Bryce wants to play. I'd be surprised if Bryce didn't try to play, but I ultimately at this point don't know. I think it's going to be about pain tolerance. I think it's going to be about being able to manage what he feels like on game day. But if it is Milrow, know that this offense changes drastically. They run the ball 33% of the time when Bryce is in the game. When Milrow's in the game, that number ticks up to 64% of the time. Obviously, when it comes to passing, Bryce, a much more, I guess, advanced and polished passer at this point of his development. Nine yards per attempt for Alabama's offense when he's in the game. 5.7 when Milrow's in the game. So underneath stuff for Milrow for the most part. But the rushing numbers are static. 7.2 when Milrow's in the game, 7.2 when Bryce is in the game. And don't forget about Jameer Gibbs. He's really getting hot right now. The best two-game run that we've seen from an Alabama running back since Derrick Henry back in 2015. He has 360 rushing yards in the last two games. So both teams really, really strong offensively. And shockingly, both teams very strong 
defensively as well. Eileen, Alabama. They've been in this situation before, and this is one of those unique circumstances where the home team actually has more pressure on them. Alabama, whether they win, whether they lose, are still in complete control of their own destiny. If they lose the game, they can still beat everybody in the SEC West and find their way back to the SEC championship game. If Tennessee loses, yeah, ultimately, do they control their own destiny? Yes, they do. But not, knowing that they still have some difficult games lying in front of them, a la Georgia, it's obviously a tougher situation to be in. And if, for whatever reason, Alabama gets off to a great start. What did I tell you a second ago about Mississippi State? They're plus 59 in first quarter scoring margin, right? Well, Alabama's first in the country plus 77 scoring margin. So they are really a good starting football team. If Alabama gets off to a hot start, what will the feeling in Neyland Stadium be if Tennessee comes out of the gates a little bit slow? I don't know if there will. I'm just saying... Alabama's a great starting football team, so Tennessee better start fast because if those fans get restless, that's when the pressure starts to reside on the home team. I trust the team that's been here many, many, many times in the last decade against the team that is breaking through for what feels like the first time in a while. Eileen Bama, I think it'll be a great game, and I hope it delivers for college football fans everywhere. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if you're First bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, love being able to dive into some of those bigger games, but there's still a bunch of other games that we usually get to, but... In an effort to have a great conversation with Peyton Manning, we're not going to spend as much time on these today as we normally would. So just so you know, take a peek at these five games. I think they're all very impactful, but maybe not going to be headliners. Minnesota, Illinois, I personally think winner of this game will be playing in the Big Ten Championship game. Minnesota's got to bounce back, though, after the ugly performance last time. Can Oklahoma please get off the deck? Goodness gracious. Doesn't look like Jalen Daniels is going to be available, but can Oklahoma show me something? Just show me some life, especially on defense. That'd be huge. NC State, is their quarterback going to play? They're on the road at Syracuse. Syracuse trying to go 6-0 and for the first time in God knows how long, and they're trying to set up what might be an undefeated tilt against Clemson next week. Arkansas, terrible performance last week with the absence of KJ Jefferson. They've been on a sliding streak, lost three in a row. I think you're getting them on sale this week. I don't love BYU right now, and I know BYU struggles against quarterback run. KJ Jefferson's one of the best in the country when it comes to running the football. I think BYU struggles in the game I'm on, LSU-Florida. I'm not sure either one of these two teams are great, but they're both sitting there right now at 4-2. and two. Big difference for Billy Napier and for Brian Kelly. 5-2 and two in your first year looks a whole lot better 
than four and three, especially knowing that you have some huge games coming up in the next few weeks. If you look at LSU, especially, I mean, they got Ole Miss next week. You got to go on the road, or I'm sorry, you got Bama after the bye week, a couple weeks after that. I mean, LSU's got a gauntlet. Florida still got Georgia. I mean, there's a lot of meat still on the bone for both LSU and Florida. So I'd argue if you want your first year to be a success, this is a must win. We really appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much for joining us here at Always College Football. What a great show today. Great to visit with Peyton Manning. Thanks so much to him for all that he provides us with and supporting us as we try to bring you college football every single day. For Mark Kubiak, for Jack, for Jack, for Tucker, for everybody that helps the show, goodness gracious, we appreciate you. By the way, we don't have like a Danettes thing going on, but we're growing. We're, we're adding more pieces to the puzzle, and we're grateful to everyone at Omaha for that. Hit us up on YouTube, like us, subscribe, podcast, subscribe. Great with all that. Appreciate you guys. Like, rate, and subscribe. Our numbers are growing, and we really have enjoyed the interaction with you. Hit us up on our social media at AlwaysCFB. Hit us up on our email at AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail.com. All right, for all of us at Always College Football, and I mean all of us, we have a bunch of people, so we appreciate you. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the games, and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.